how'd you get interested in fatigue? Well, uh, when I was an aerospace physiologist in the United States Air Force, uh, I was at, fatigue was actually part of the curriculum. And we used to teach all kinds of folks about fatigue. So not only people who, uh, who flew transport aircraft across the pond or many, many hours, but also SEAL teams and special forces and people who jumped out of aircraft, uh, helicopter pilots, fighter pilots, uh, and just the normal operations of military. Wow. So that you were an aerospace physiologist? Right. Joe, I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but that strikes me that's your going into line right there. I mean, <laughs> if you can't get a date saying that as your opening line, hi there, I'm an aerospace physiologist. I mean, it's it's over. Well, my, my usual opening line used to be, I'm Episcopalian. What's your sign? <laughs> that's pretty good as well. Everybody and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your host today, and it is a beautiful day at that. Todd Conklin, and you are about to enjoy a podcast that has got a lot of requests. So this is a pretty important issue because what we're going to talk about is fatigue. And I don't know how much you're thinking about fatigue and fatigue management, but my guess is is not enough. And that's going to be important because fatigue, like human error, is a human condition. And what do we know about human error? Uh, it's normal, and it's a part of everything. So therefore, if fatigue is like human error, it's a human condition, it's normal, and it's a part of everything. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about it with a, uh, with a cat who has some expertise in it. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this. Uh, the, the guy's name is Joe Ballas, and he's, uh, it's a great po- – you're going to like this podcast. But let's talk about the summer so far. How is it going? Other than the world is kind of buckling under weird pressures and I just all the tons of stuff that's happening, the summer itself is pretty good. You know, I've really tried to knock it back this summer. You know, I tell you this all the time that my goal is to, like, take more time and do nothing. I'm getting better at it. I'm not good at it, but I'm better at it. But mostly what I'm enjoying is just the chance to be with friends and family and do all sorts of fun stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's always a series of adventures in my life. That is true. Oh, before I forget, I should talk to you about the, the, we got a workshop going um, in Atlanta. So it's going to be Bob Edwards, myself, and Mark Yeston. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, in great detail, of course, a three-day workshop. Human Performance Foundations is the first day, kind of the Safety Differently Foundations. The second day is an entire deep dive focus on operational learning, learning teams. And then the third day is the workshop that I've uh, just started giving on workplace fatalities. It's based on the workplace fatality book, but it's a pretty good workshop. It's it's uh works pretty well. It's uh in the Hilton Airport at Atlanta. No, did I say that wrong? The Atlanta Hilton Airport, I think is how they say it, on Virginia Street. If you've flown into Atlanta and ever had to spend the night, you'll know this Hilton. Um because I was asked to have the workshop in the south. And so I tried a bunch of different places, but it was really hard to find a place, but I finally found a place in Atlanta. So Hot Atlanta in October is a good time to be there. It's an easy place to get to and you're more than welcome. And we'd love to have you. Um, it's already got a waiting list as I record this introduction of about 12 people. So it's going to be kind of full, 
but don't fret. We'll do more of these if we need to. Um, but I, we opened this up just because we had a lot of need and there was an ask to do it in the South. The other thing that's coming up and I'll just tease it cause, um, we haven't really talked much about it, but what would you think about spending a day just kind of hanging out chairs in a circle, uh, kind of talking about advanced concepts in safety differently hop and human performance. And I was thinking about bringing in, you know, another person who's, who's doing a lot of the work, um, and inviting that person and myself, probably Bob would be in the crowd, pretty open agenda. And we basically talk about what you guys need to talk about. If that sounds interesting to you as a, uh, as a, a career development step, I'm glad to do that meeting as well. A lot of people have asked for kind of what's next and there's a lot of what's next. There's no question about it. And this might be a good way to do it. There's also a big workshop in November in Toronto. So if you're in that part of the world, um, come and see me there. Uh, that'd be fun as well. Um, I guess I am busy. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm sucking at being not busy. Yeah, I guess maybe I am busy. But nonetheless, let's get into this podcast because I, I think this podcast has high value for you. This is Joe's going to talk about fatigue, but he's going to talk about fatigue management really as a as a aviation physiologist. He's he's a person who actually his life's career and the consulting company that he has now is focused entirely on this notion of fatigue and operations. And I think you'll like how he approaches it and what he has to say. So without much more ado, that's French. Um, here's Joe and fatigue. Listen carefully. So that that's so so introduce yourself to the podcast because uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Who are you and and why are we listening to you? Well, my name is Joe Ballas and I've been uh, involved in human factor safety for about ten or eleven years in the United States Air Force as an aerospace physiologist. And I got introduced to human factor safety and to preventative uh, preventative side of safety rather than OSHA safety, even though I've done OSHA safety for a long period of time. Uh, I was really interested more in the human performance aspects because that's where I spent most of my career. And so what, what, what do you think about the human performance aspects led you to have a career's worth of thinking about that? What is it that interests you? Uh, it comes down to a basic concept, what I was uh, introduced to years ago. And uh, was actually in the research environment. Uh, we were developing things that were going to be placed into the Air Force system uh, somewhere down in the future. And someone said to me, Joe, would you rather do firefighting or fire prevention? And I said, I think I'd rather do fire prevention. And that's where it all started for me. So human performance is really the, the prevention side of the house. If you can solve most of the problems from the prevention point, then you can solve most of the firefighting portions as well. So you've kind of niched out into the fatigue area, which I will tell you is maybe the more important areas that we can look at in our world, and certainly one of the more popular topic choices for the podcast. Talk to me about fatigue and kind of start start from the beginning. What do I need to know? Why is it important? And what are you learning and how are we managing it? That, that's actually a big question, but I think this is an important question. Yeah, first of all, Todd, uh, fatigue is a human condition and we all get fatigued and uh, it doesn't matter what industry that you're in fatigue is going to be a player uh, there have been several studies that have been made hours that you sleep a night 
and the National Sleep Foundation says we should sleep from seven to nine hours, but no one really knows why we have those particular numbers assigned to sleep. So for instance, from seven to nine hours, uh, what they're really getting at is that most uh, humans do not, or most individuals do not receive the quality and quantity of sleep that they need. And that's where the human performance starts to drop off. Uh, so, we all have been there one time or another uh, where we have stayed out too late or our work schedules are such where we, we are, we're dragging the next day or maybe even for weeks on end. And so there's different types of fatigue that people suffer from and they don't even know it. As a matter of fact, the, the, the sad part about it is, is that uh, most people are not good judges of their own fatigue. There may, may, may have been many times where you and I may have done something and we, we realize after our task is over with or the job is over with or whatever the event was that we find out, boy, I should have never done that. I was too tired to do that. It's because it addresses those issues up front. And hopefully from an employer point of view, we can get reduced, uh, we can increase productivity, reduce the ROI, and hopefully get get into some of the underlying performance issues that actually create OSHA injuries, illnesses, and accidents and incidents but how do you how do you define how do you fix something that you can't define because i'm really interested in this whole seven to nine hours thing because it strikes me as somewhat arbitrary it's this is like the, the eight glasses of water or the heinrich pyramid right. we make them up right. they sound really good and so we then make that the rule and we follow that rule but i definitely know people that need more than eight hours and i definitely know people that don't get more than six hours and they all seem right. to function Right, right. Uh, th there are many definitions of fatigue, and one of the definitions that, that I look at is, is, is a sense of from sleep debt. And that's where a lot of you hit the nail on the head. So, usually, if I'm doing a training class, I'll ask a person when I show that slide from seven hours, I'll say, if, if I were to ask you a question, how many hours of sleep do you think you need per night to feel fully refreshed in the morning? versus how many hours of sleep that you normally get, it's usually two to three hours difference. Wow, which really? Which tells me that every night, or completely almost every night, is that people are losing maybe one hour, two hours, three hours. Now, the answer could be, I need seven, but I get five. Or I need 10, and I get eight. So you, you hit that right on the head in the sense of, this is an individual type of situation, and that's what makes fatigue both an art and a science. So in my particular aspect, you're either rested or you're not. You're fully mentally alert or physically rested or not. And if you're not, you're, you fall into one of two other conditions which are caused by sleep debt. So let me give you an example. Uh, let's talk about a, a concept called sleep deprivation. So Sunday night, uh, you're getting ready to go to work on Monday morning. And you normally go to bed at around 11 o'clock at night. But for some reason, an event, uh, some type of situation that you're involved in, you stay up till 1.30 in the morning. And then finally Monday morning, you get up your normal time and go to work. Well, through that whole day, you may be dragging. You may feel fatigued. You may feel tired, uh, lazy, not with it. But that night on Monday night, when you finally get back home, what happens is you might decide instead of going to bed at 11 o'clock, I'll go to bed at nine o'clock. 
So what you're doing is you're making up your sleep debt that very night. And sometimes that can happen over several nights, but your sleep deprivation can be made up. So what you're doing in that example is you're depriving yourself of sleep. Now, if that sleep debt happens over a period of time, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 days, and it's a matter of a lifestyle for you, depending upon how you live your life or the work schedule that you have, you can actually move from sleep deprivation into sleep deficiency. And the best way to think about that is drawing money from a bank, overdrawn from the bank. And there's really hardly any way to make up for that type of sleep debt. And that's what fatigue is, is issued around or fatigue is, is, is wrapped around. It's around that sleep debt. So it's a steady, fatigue is a steady state condition that happens uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on occurrences that it's due to sleep debt. And what ends up happening overall, even though there's a physical component to, to fatigue, where it's going to get you the most is in your mental alertness. It always ends up affecting mental alertness. So it doesn't matter what kind of job you have. You could be a FedEx person or you could be a certain a, a person sitting behind the desk. It doesn't really matter. If you're sleep deficient, it's going to get you mentally. Fatigue and sleep deprivation and sleep uh, deficiency those are human conditions. So that, that's, yes. that's what happens when humans are humans. And, right. and so the employer can't look at this as something they have to prevent. They have to look at this as something they have to sort of control. They have to, they have to build systems that are aware that even the best worker could be fatigued. What's that mean if you run a mine? So you, you operate a mine, and it's the good kind of mine. It's, uh, it mines M&Ms and clothing for orphans. So it's a really good mine. It doesn't have a lot of political. Your guys work 12-hour shifts. It's a fly-in and fly-out because it's in the middle of nowhere. And so they work 12 hours. Then they've got a two-hour commute back to the man to the camp and a two-hour commute in the day. So really their day is really 16 hours, which right. means best-case scenario, they've got eight hours. Or, or another example would be tugboats. So tugboats right. are really interesting in that they work four-on, four-off, four-on, four-off, four-on, four-off. Right. So you right. never really get a chance to do laundry or eat dinner or worse yet sleep. How do you manage that? Well, you've got a, you, you've got a lot going on there, Todd. I mean, I could think of a, a lot of things. First of all, um, one thing is important is what I, I would do and I would suggest is that you uh, take a look at the schedule just from hours in regards to the schedule itself. You have to, are you working four tens? Are you working four twelves? And then what I would do, and I would suggest anybody would do, is that there are fatigue models out there for schedules. And so once you enter that data, and you mentioned already some of them. So some of these fatigue models, what they do is they'll mention, they'll say, what is this job? Because that's important. What is the workload and what is the pace of this job? What is the commute, commute time for this job? And they ask four or five different parameters. Then what they do is they put this, uh, this data into a, uh, into a, uh, a computer-type program, and they also measure that against the time when the hours are being worked. So, for instance, uh, uh, you can work from 6 to 6, 6 in the morning to 6 at night, or 6 at night to 6 in the morning, and... Your physiology, now you're getting to a different area here, is, is your physiology works on a, 
what they call a circadian rhythm or a natural rhythm where you're supposed to sleep at night and work during the day. But even day workers can feel fatigued. And so what you do is you enter this data and you also supply the times of the shift. And what it spits out for you is it shows you approximately how much mental alertness that person would have as they go through their shift. So it would give you sort of an average time of sleepiness. So I did I did one for uh, just on, on a whim. I did for another company and uh, it showed them consistently at about 50 percent of sleepiness. And what that model told me was that you could fall asleep or not off on the job. You had a 50 percent chance of doing that. And that's not even talking about what you're doing on your off time. That's just that completely. Now, if you're talking about four on and four off, or you're talking about napping in between, what are you doing in between those schedules that can help you revive yourself or at least recharge your batteries a bit? And it also depends upon lifestyle after work. I mean, I can tell you for a fact that police officers and firefighters sometimes will extend their day. So police, let's say, will take uh, 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 extra hours to do a rock concert at a hall and support them police-wise and get extra hours, but they have extended their day. Or firefighters sometimes take on part-time jobs because of the schedule that they keep. So sometimes it's what we do after we get off of work as well. And it also depends upon our habits. So there's an art and a science to this, and that's what makes this so complex because we're talking at down almost to the individual level. And that's why I think training in fatigue is so important, because just like you're asking, there are a lot of folks that need to ask those personal kinds of questions that can be fielded, and then they can manage their fatigue more, more so than anybody else. Because it really comes down to the employee managing their fatigue, as well as the employer taking a look at them and saying, okay, this is another aspect of, of one of my safety program that I have to manage. And let me just mention one other thing. Uh, there's, a, there's a term called a chronotype, and the chronotypes are larks and owls. Now, most people don't know what larks and owls are, but I'm a lark. I can get up at 3.30 in the morning, but my batteries are spent by 2.30 in the afternoon. You might be an owl, which means that you get up at 10 o'clock in the morning, and you're, you're spent by 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> the following day. And so knowing that helps as well, because now you can structure personnel around those chronotypes that they can do maybe more of a night shift or a swing shift or a day shift. And so that's where all this becomes very complex. So it begs this question, because it's, it's, it would be malpractice if I let you have the answer that it belongs to both the employer and the worker. Is, is this a problem that we, if we ask workers to get more sleep, will that fix the problem? Absolutely not. So we have Absolutely. to then build systems that, are, that recognize things like circadian rhythms, that humans are humans, and right. that fatigue is a part of the human condition. Right. And I think what you're doing is what you're doing in a safety point of view is you're managing risk. So you and I know that nothing is risk-free. And so what you're going to try and do is mitigate as much as possible this risk. Can it happen? Absolutely. Uh, there are some things on 24-7 operations that you're never going to get rid of. There are some people who work at night and they have to work at night. They, they could be in manufacturing. They can be in paving. They can be in healthcare. 
And we depend upon these people to do their jobs. So it's a managed risk. Are naps valuable? Are what valuable? Naps. Oh, naps, absolutely. For God's sakes, please say yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, naps are valuable. But naps are valuable only if they're used strategically. So what's the, the reason why? Yeah, what's that mean, strategic use of naps? Because I want to be an expert in this because I want to put this on my resume, strategic napper. Okay. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good title. Uh, if, if I had a chance to show you, uh, when you should take a nap, if you can look on a YouTube video, uh, there's a, there's a video of a dog out there. His name is sleepy spudgy <laughs> and it's S P U D G Y. I usually put it in my training because it's a great training aid sleepy spudgy on YouTube. He's got about 6 million hits. Sleepy Spudgy doesn't even know he's even sleeping. He just nods off completely. Uh, what happens is, is when you get to that point, that's when it's time to take a nap. Naps have to be strategically used because otherwise they will disrupt your normal sleeping pattern if you make it a habit. Because your body will depend upon naps to keep you fully charged. And so when those situations come where you're nodding off, like this afternoon, I took a nap. I nodded off. I was there for about 15, 20 minutes, took a nice recharged nap, and, and I'm good. Uh, the point is, is that you got to, that's, that it's anywhere from 10 to 40 minutes per nap. And I would usually set an alarm, some kind of alarm on a phone or a clock or a watch, whatever you have, and then try to get up after that. Because otherwise, you don't want to sleep too long. And that, that creates other physiological type of problems. And you get into a situation or a condition called, sleep inertia. Uh, inertia, you probably well know from if you have a, 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 a tractor trailer loaded full of bananas, the stopping distance is going to be a lot, uh, a lot more extended than it would be if it's empty. And that's what happens if you take too long of a nap. You suffer from sleep inertia. So you wake up after a nap and it takes you anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours to actually wake back up. <laughs> How does the employer manage this? What because so how do you, when you work with an employer, what do you tell them? I mean, how, how, how do you tell them to tackle this? I'm familiar with some places like giving drivers nap time and having nap rooms and stuff, but that's still pretty controversial and kind of really forward thinking. What do you tell employers? Now, the first thing you have to do is, is the first thing I, I think you should do and, and, and should be done is you have to develop a policy. So it has to be part of company, uh, company policy. The, the second thing you need to do is you need to involve the safety department. And at that point in time, you have to actually develop a risk matrix. So just like anything else, whether it's an ops risk matrix or a safety risk matrix, you have to include those things that, uh, that include fatigue. So, for instance, eight-hour shifts are better than 10. 10s are better than 12s. And then, then how you work those shifts and what people you put in, you'd have to put that framework in there to monitor that. And then you also have to have the accident incident investigations to take a look at, especially near misses, especially near misses is where human error is going to show up, maybe probably due to fatigue. And that's where OSHA safety professionals are lacking in skills and training and experience. They don't know how to take a look at fatigue to go ahead and fold that into their safety program. So it has to be a safety program. So policy, risk management, safety program and then training of the employees as well as the managers and senior staff in regards to fatigue. Because 
uh, I can tell you on certain jobs, sometimes in constructions, people will send people home because they're too tired. And uh, if they find out they're too tired, they send them home. Why haven't we recognized this earlier? Uh, because we don't have the skill, the training, or the experience to do that. I mean, I, I can I can hearken you to the accidents that happened in Three Mile Island, Exxon Valdez, Bhopal, India, all have uh, fatigue as a contributor of those accidents. But because we don't have the skills and the experience, we don't recognize it as such. And here we are 30 years later, and we haven't progressed any at all. And that's the hardest selling point that I have to employers is trying to recognize, for them to recognize, that really this is a part of their return on investment. The one good thing about that is that the National Safety Council have come, has come out with surveys in regards to fatigue and, um, and shown that fatigue is an issue. So it's a national, nationally recognized uh, organization that has taken the mantle for this and is starting to move in this area, which helps that effort. What industries are better at it? I mean, clearly aviation is better um, because they have sort of restricted hours for crews. Must be air traffic controls better. I mean, I hope. I don't. I really. Know. Who, who do you look at as kind of leading the way on this area? Uh, you're right. Aviation is number one. I would say, followed by probably oil and pipeline, nuclear reactors, uh, places where you have extreme critical. Uh, operations, anything that has a control room and is going to essentially going to have some of this stuff. But really, uh, Todd, there is no uh, binding regulation, no safety regulation. Some of these things are written in the policies or they are best practices in these industries. Uh, a lot of places that use also use um, process safety might have them as well. So what's the first advice you would give an employer who's starting to realize that fatigue is, is a potential high-risk condition and wants to actually move forward in this area? I'd have to show them the uh, financial stats. That's the only way to do it. Really? What, think, so that's interesting to me because I would think money would be – well, money's always important to senior leadership. That's not a problem. But I would think money would be the least interesting motivator. I, I would think that the notion around reliability would be much more sexy to them. But I could be wrong. Uh, it's not been my experience uh, because usually what ends up happening is is that you have to show them what their return on investment is. And uh, that that's the main thing. So I could tell you, you know, just from some of the stats that I have, uh, construction, this is this comes, this is in uh, National Safety Council data. Construction uh, spends $1 million per year on uh, the financial impact on, on employers due to paying fatigue, uh, fatigue types of things. And uh, it breaks out into certain things. Uh, for instance, employee replacement, absenteeism, uh, something called presenteeism. I don't know if you know what presenteeism is, if you've ever heard of that term. But all of these have a dollar amount associated with them. And so that would be the first thing I, I would come in. I'd say, this is what I do, and this is... You know, we have to talk numbers and there's there's numbers for all kinds of industries. I mean, there's healthcare uh, and those kinds of things, wholesale, retail, transportation, logistics, all of these manufacturing, hospitality, healthcare, government. And you talk numbers first 
and then hopefully everything will flow from there because that's what they really want to do. They want to make their, they are into increased productivity with less work and compensation claims. And that, the, 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 the two, the binding thing that pulls that together are numbers, financial numbers. And that's what's going to get them on their ROI or the return on investment. If you can reduce the, increase their productivity by reducing their expenses, they're going to listen. My are experience. There, are there many people doing what you're doing out there? No. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> they're not. No, they're not. As a matter of fact, the, the problem that I have most of all is that most of the information is stuck in academia and none of it is operationalized. And so I'm out here doing the operational work, trying to get it down. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There are other areas like oil and pipeline are doing this. I mean, huge industries that are doing this. But underneath that, there's, from what I can tell, there's nothing. There's nothing. How do people get a hold of you? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm a one-man shop, and uh, I've got a website, and I've been trying to get a hold of people in just my own state of Colorado, and no one seems to be interested. But uh, the website is one area. Uh, and other contact information, email that's out there. But the website is 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 main is the main. So what's focus. what's what's that website address? Uh, the website address is humanfactorsafety.com. Humanfactorsafety.com. I don't right. think it's a problem of nobody not interested. I think it's a problem that people don't recognize this is a problem. I mean, that's not fair. I think people understand it's a problem. I'm not sure they know who owns the problem. If you ask me, Joe, and, and this is just me sitting on the sideline because I'm a genius when I look from the outside in, um, <laughs> yeah. I can fix all problems retrospectively. Just you can Good write that down on, on my resume. My guess is that it's who owns the problem is the issue, is that I bet a traditional employer in a traditional approach would say, if we've got sleepy employees, they need to rest better. So you need to rest better. But asking people to rest better sort of throws away that notion that this is a factor of being human. It's a human condition and that everyone has it. Building systems that are much more aware of and can identify sleep deprivation or sleep deficiency or any of those things, that seems like a more powerful way to understand this problem. And that kind of moves ownership from the worker to the organization. And, th and that's the reason why I've resorted to publishing. I, I have an article published in Metro Magazine. I have an article published, believe it or not, in Food Safety. Uh, and July 1st, the article is coming out for construction business owners. And all this one's a different article because it talks about the cost of safety because I've targeted to business owners. And then I've got another article coming out in the fall that has, has already been approved in, a, in a, something called Power Lineman Magazine. We're talking about people who do high, high electricity, high voltage work on power lines. And so the community, the community doesn't matter. The industry doesn't matter to me. But I've, I've resorted to publishing to try to get this out there. And even though there's interest from a magazine point of view, I have not. I, I, my sense is that they think that this is novel. And I, they don't seem to understand the value. And I think that's what you're saying. It's a novelty, but not valuable as of yet. And, and my guess is, is that that's probably true. But I think the bigger issue is there's a bias towards the fact that this is a problem the worker should solve, not a problem that the company should solve. That, I, I, 
that I yeah. think is a is a pretty interesting way to look at this. Well, that has been my experience, even in the service, is that uh, management is going to get uh, their productivity done or their mission done, and the workers are just, it's a condition of employment. It's a condition of employment. And so when I started out in this, I wanted to educate employers, but as well as to try to protect the workers, and along the way, uh, increase productivity for employers and show them. That's the reason why I say I think numbers are more important, because if I can sh- if I can talk finances with them, I think that's more important. That then they see what's going on, and then the safety aspect or the fatigue or the human performance aspect comes along on on a on a caboose, so to speak. Nice. So what do you think, huh? It's interesting to me. So first of all, the whole idea of sleep debt is um, a very interesting way to think of this because it means sleep's a capacity. And, you know, I talk a lot about this notion of capacity and you can draw from, deposit to or draw from at any time. I think that's really interesting. I also think the way Joe approaches it as a, as a physiologist, as an aerospace physiologist, gives him a certain amount of um, cachet over people who I think are looking for algorithmic ways to solve this. Um, we can do this with a piece of software. We can do this. There's a lot of variability in this process, and I think that makes this podcast super interesting. Joe's somebody I would highly uh, – if you're interested in this area, and if you're not, you should be. Joe's somebody I would highly recommend you give a shout to because I think it could make a difference. I, I don't know. It's it's something I think about a bunch, and I have no expertise at all in that area. But I'm smarter now than I was uh, 33 minutes ago, so that's saying something. Sleep debt, huh? Who would have figured? Well, that's the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. If you're new, you're more than welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you've been around a long time, thanks for sticking it out. Uh, Write a review. Tell your friends. Get some new people to listen. I think there's lots going on in this podcast, and it's getting better and better and better because you guys are getting better and better. Until then, my friend, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. (laughs) Have as much fun as you can, and for goodness sakes, Be safe.